0: Hey, Bill, do you do you know you have it?
1: <laughs> you can do whatever you want.
0: Do, do you have it? <laughs> I don't have it. Do you have it? I don't have it. Uh, I don't think I ever had it.
1: I took antibiotics. I'm I
0: If I, <laughs> I ever had it, it's I, 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 gone. I, then again, I might still have a little of it. <laughs> uh, OK, Uh, hey, it's episode 29 of On Taking Pictures. Can you believe that? 29 episodes, Bill. We're getting there. We're getting up there. Almost. We're almost in our 30s.
1: Uh, the 30s, the best decade of your life. Uh, I hope not. Or at least that's what everyone in their 30s says.
0: <laughs> that's, what I, that's right. Well, people in
1: their 50s, is that what you guys say?
0: Oh, uh, what? I, uh, I'm not in my 50s. <laughs> uh. It's like that, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, this is on Taking Pictures, your weekly podcast where we talk about stuff other than gear, art, science, a little bit of philosophy, maybe even some poetry today.
1: I don't know. Yeah. And then people complain about me being curmudgeonly.
0: <laughs> That's right. And, and, and uh, the fancy curmudgeon. That's it. There's our T-shirt right there.
1: The fa- <laughs> I'm with the fancy curmudgeon. <laughs> That's what I want.
0: That's right. That's what I want. little little camera with that, a monocle on it? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> <laughs> hey, how do you know that you have it, Bill? Have what? You know, it. 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 How do you know that 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 you've made a photograph or made a painting or made a drawing or made a record? And the reason I ask is I was listening to Pearl Jam the last couple of days, and I don't know why, because I'm not – I mean, I like Pearl Jam, but I haven't listened to them in a long time. But – over the last couple of days, I was listening to 10. Right. And I wondered when, when they were recording 10, did they know that that was going to be the record that would arguably define them as a band, regardless of what el- whatever else they came out with? Did they know this is going to be our, you know, Abbey road or whatever? Uh,
1: my guess is no. However, I think that people know when what they're doing is really good. I don't think they know how it fits into their larger career. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to take another example, I remember watching a Behind the Music or one of those things or, you know, the album, those VH1 record things. Sure. And they were talking to Bon Jovi about Slippery When Wet. <clears throat> And they're like, you know, you were making this record. Did you realize it was going to have, you know, five number one hits on it or whatever it was and be this smash that like breaks your career wide open? And they said, you know, when we were making it, we were listening back, whatever it was about to come out. And we all had this palpable feeling that we were releasing something really special. Wow. That what we were making was there. There, there's extra energy to this. There's
0: something hmm. to this. There's some juice on this. Exactly. Interesting. Uh,
1: and then it blew up and it just, you know, but then again, <laughs> maybe there's lots of artists who felt that way and it didn't happen. It's sort of like the argument, like, oh, God exists because he saved these sailors. It's like, well, yeah, but you don't hear from the sailors who didn't make it back. you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. Um, so, uh it, it's it's an interesting notion. I guess the, it goes. I mean, look, we did a whole show about trying to figure out how you know whether something is good or not. The sure. question, This is the larger question of if you know whether something fits into your larger story that you're trying to tell.
0: Right. Um, and and I guess had using Pearl Jam as an example, had had ten not been the monster that it was, how would that have changed the trajectory of the band? And I and and for for me as an art as as a as a painter i almost said as an artist uh but that 's not right uh, do i you know how do i gauge whether or not i 've got enough of it to warrant pursuing you know how how do you gauge if if you 've got enough of it whatever it is. In a particular to, work. In a particular yeah, piece. to con- to continue shooting, to continue writing music, to continue singing, oh. what, whatever it is.
1: Oh, I see. Like w- whether you should even try it all. Right. Um, you know, it's, I've had this discussion with, with, with psychologists before. <laughs> Basically the argument being, uh, you know, yes, I need to have confidence in myself, right? And mm-hmm. that I can't listen to... Critics and detractors, because there will always be critics and detractors. Sure. However, you also don't want to be the guy who's so delusional that he thinks he's good when he's
0: really not. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So, so how do you gauge whether you're one guy or girl or the other? Yeah, I, I, I have yet to find a way to do that. You know, I, growing up, my, my mom always told me, just do what you love. And in fact, she she bought me a book at one point, a book called "Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow."
1: It was like a Richard Scary book on acid. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right. You knew her, um, you know. And and there is this idea that that uh, that passion about what you do will carry you for a certain distance, right? It will carry you so far. But th- there has to be, I think, some sort of tangible feedback, some tangible result, some tangible gauge by which you can measure whether or not you're making progress towards something, right?
1: Well, yeah, and you're also in this awkward position in that you're, you're also at the will of, say, the economy, right? When, For example, when the dot-com boom was happening in the late 90s. There were a lot of really mediocre people in the tech field who had jobs and were making good money and getting, uh, you know, funding and all this kind of stuff just because they were in this world where all this stuff was happening. Sure. You know, and then the bubble bursts and then all those people lose their jobs and only the people who are really good enough kind of hang on. Right. Um, Although, you know... So so, but then there's the people who are really good and are barely making it because the economy is bad for you and your industry, whatever it is. You know, you might be the best buggy whip guy in the world, but no one needs buggy whips. Well, then you probably feel like you're a pretty sucky buggy whip maker,
0: right? Right. Uh,
1: but you, but it's it's di- well, and then the other question is, I mean, back to your Pearl Jam argument. What if Nirvana never existed? Right. What if Nevermind was never made, and Ten was the record of that genre. Right. As opposed to being the number two or number three record of that genre.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: You know, how would that have changed things? And was it that they were making just the right kind of music in that place in Seattle, say.
0: Right. Right. And, and had that record come out a year prior or a year after. Yeah. Would it have been the same? And I, I mean, these are things that I think about all the time. And And sometimes I, did they consciously do that? Or is that just all just happenstance? Right. And, and this is what I wonder. And I, and I sometimes get in these sort of infinite loops and uh, just, I don't end up getting a anything left. done. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's, I think what you need to do, um, which kind of gets us to the first thing we kind of want to talk about. There's this, this movie, uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, what you can learn from this. And, uh, first of all, it's a fantastic film if you haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, and, is it on any of the- uh, It's the on things? Netflix. It's streaming on Netflix. Okay. Uh, but somebody, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, it's on Lifehacker. We'll post a, a link in the show notes. Yep. It's, the article is, is titled Lessons We Can Learn from Jiro Ono or okay. Hiro Ono. Um, and the first thing is, is, I think, paramount, that you must fall in love with your work. Yeah. If if you're if you're meandering through your career as a photographer, for example, well, or you're, yeah, anything. But you know, for us, a, a photographer or a painter or writer or whatever, um, you're not going to make it. You're not yeah. going to. Not only are you not going to make it in the sense of of any sort of uh, career, but you're not going to make it in terms of satisfying yourself creatively.
1: Well, I think that that's part of the problem with our Western sort of consumerist culture as it is just that happiness is not one of the pillars by which people measure success. Mm -hmm. Um, There was some guy, I forget what country it was, some sort of, it was some African nation or some Island out in the Pacific or something. Maybe it was in, maybe it was in Southeast Asia anyway. The the prime minister of that country wanted to stop using GDP as the measuring stick by which to measure their country's growth and and prosperity. Okay, and instead he wanted to use some sort of happiness index that he had created. Nice. Like are people in my country enjoying their lives? You know, what hardships do they have that we can help with? What you know, and in some ways it makes a lot of sense. And I think that even with kids nowadays, I mean, how many times your mother said, find something that you love and do it. My parents never, my parents never said that, or at least not that I remember, you know, I wanted to go well, to yeah, music school and my father was like, screw that. I'm not paying for that.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, that's my dad was the other side of that coin. It right. was like, no, you're going to go be an engineer somewhere. Right. Exactly. Because that's what the world needs. Yeah. Engineers. Right. I'm, you know, if you were supposed to be happy, they wouldn't call it work.
1: Now to my mother's credit, she, you know, she paid for, you know, she put in from her own salary money to help me go to music school, like to, to make up part of the difference. And, and so I guess in some ways she was like your mother, not quite as implicitly, but Mm -hmm. yeah, like, yeah, if, if it's, if it's called work, you're not supposed to enjoy it. Right. That's just such a screwy way of thinking about it.
0: It is. When when it's something that you will spend, uh, aside from sleeping, more time and energy will be spent on this endeavor than anything else.
1: And strangely, it's sort of a perversion of the... People would say, oh, it's this Puritan work ethic thing, right? But Puritans were supposed to not that they were supposed to enjoy work on like a carnal level, but it was supposed to be that you were doing this in a, in a pleasurable way for God. Right. Isn't that what originally right. what the whole right. thing was? There was, so, th- there was, yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a, it was an honorable thing to be doing work where nowadays we're to the point where it's like, suck it up. I don't care if you don't enjoy it, you know? Right. Um, uh, my partner, Heather, she works at a law firm. We talked a lot, lots of lawyers and stuff. And a lot of people were lawyers and doctors and, and they start making a lot of money really quickly. Once they get through this 10 year period where they're not making anything. And it's sort of this golden handcuffs thing where, yeah, you're making 180 grand walking in the door, but then you go buy a big house and a big car. And now you have to keep that job in order to maintain the right. stuff that you bought to make yourself feel better about the fact that you're working a hundred hours a week. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's it doesn't it doesn't mesh with are you actually enjoying what you're doing you know um and, and so i'm i'm all for hero and his dreams of sushi well, yeah. what, what so find the work you love and and he was making sushi
0: right in this little bitty stand uh but it was you know by many people's account art it was it was this amazingly refined And that's the other thing is in this article and then they they talk about uh, the the heading is specialized, simplifies and go deep. And he just kept refining his style, refining, refining, refining. He didn't try anything new or didn't go off on trends or tangents or, you know, what's hot and what's not. He refined his work down, down, down until it was just this this pure, simple genius, you know, and I, I, I think that. For a creative endeavor, there's always the temptation to try something new, thinking that that may, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I need to be doing like what this guy's doing. Maybe I need to be over here doing what this person's doing.
1: Well, we're guilty of that, you and I, even. we We, we flirt between telling people to get really good at what they do. You know, there's a highlighted part of here, master, mastery results come from constant repetition. Right. You know. So there's this idea of whatever it is you choose to do, keep doing it all the time every day constantly and at a certain point it'll start refining itself. And yet at the, in the next episode we argue well do something completely different from what yeah. you normally yeah. do. Yeah, reinvent yourself. Exactly. So uh, and and that is not that we're trying to be hypocritical. It's just that these are these are the two poles that we're pulling away from right
0: you know and they're and they're pulling at you constantly yeah if you're if you're uh of that ilk to see them
1: yeah uh it's frustrating and terrifying too mm-hmm. uh yeah hero man what else well oh, let's see uh increases creativity by going deep rather than wide start with an automatic daily routine pursue a narrow focus at work within that narrow focus the combination of talent and hard work open up a universe for creative exploration that's nice
0: yeah it, it i've i've watched this movie like 4 or 5 times now and i keep marveling at how beautiful the simplicity of his craft
1: ah i was waiting for you to say it
0: yeah how, how beautiful, I mean, it's complex, but he's, he's, he's refined it to a point where it's, there's this purity to it, you know? And I think a lot of the early photographers that we talk about were in that kind of zone because it was, they they didn't, in, in the same way that we do, they didn't have the tools and gadgets and, and ephemera to add to the process. There was the camera. There was light and there was shadow and that's it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, and if there is an advantage to using an older camera, a, a film camera, say, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be that it just takes away all of the doohickeys that are just uh, distracting hmm. that you are left with. Is the exposure right? And am I framing it right Right. And that's, that's all there is. Right. 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 Um, and right is a very, you know, correctly is a very vague notion in both of those things. Sure. Um, so that it's almost all art there as opposed to it being, Oh shoot, I got to get through these 437 buttons and settings yeah. to get yeah. it
0: so I can make art. Or is the four, is the four third sensor going to give me better, worse, Right. different yeah, than exactly. the full frame versus the crop versus the you know
1: yeah. yeah uh so i think man this is this is a pretty good discussion uh hero <laughs> hero <laughs> <laughs> i mean do you do you think that people find I, sometimes i wonder I, I i i you know did music for a while uh i was an art director for a while um I'm doing photography now. It's this question of whether or not at a certain point, maybe there, maybe the the concept of a dream job doesn't exist for people who are restless or depressed or whatever, or is it the restlessness and the depression that's getting in the way of you recognizing your dream job?
0: That is something that I have wrestled with probably since high school. You know, am I, am I restless because I'm not completely satisfied with, with where I am, what I'm doing, or am I not you know, satisfied with where I am, what I'm doing because I'm just of that ilk to always be going, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? How can I, I need more input. I need more stimulus. I need more, right. you know, yeah. I, and, I don't and know. And are those things excuses? Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, again, that's something that, that a professional and I have worked through many hours. <laughs>
1: yeah. It, with, with, with no res- resolution. Zero resolution. Which, which begs the question of whether prof- you know professional psychological help actually helps people like us. Or if regardless of whatever conclusion people come up with, we're going to discount it or question it anyway. And so why even bother getting that answer if we're not going to trust it?
0: Uh, again, this is—I've wrestled with that point for a long time yeah. with that question, and and I don't—I don't, I don't have—and forty thousand dollars later. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I don't have that answer, but I—I do. You know, there's a there's a quote by Rilke that that goes live. I won't read the whole thing or, or recite the whole thing, but it the one line is live the questions. Okay. And that's, that's, I think where I'm at is I live the questions. I don't, I don't live for the answers. I live, I live the questions. Jeffrey, and life, con-
1: life is what happens while you're making other plans. <laughs> that's right.
0: That's right. That's it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. Damn, so, uh, that, if hero. This, that hero, if this resonates with, with you guys, uh, shoot us an email or, or a phone call or something. Let us know what you think.
1: Yeah, I think that's good. Hey, you know, I was thinking we should uh, put the content information further up in the show. So why don't we give that now, and we'll give it at the end again.
0: Oh, how to get how to yeah. leave feedback or something? Sure, uh, podcast at ontakingpictures.com, dot uh, or you can uh, you can you can follow us on the Twitter. Yeah, you're Bill Wadman, and you're
1: Jeffrey Sidoris. E R Y double D one R. I just yes. like saying that.
0: I, I know, and you've got it down. It's it's taken you a little bit, but now you you found your rhythm.
1: Uh and of course you can give us a call and leave a voicemail at 347-687-9411 and we may play it on the show. Yes. Uh all right, what else we got on the show? We got we got
0: man we got lots of stuff to talk okay, about. Okay, you you wanted to go through uh, you think it's trans- a bad place to go? No, this is good. Because I think it all it all kind of it's it's all part of a bigger discussion. So, trends in fashion. Yeah. Where do you want to go with that? You you've got a story too that somehow relates.
1: Yeah. <laughs> very very vaguely relates.
0: Is, is it is it is it loose I, how it, how it relates? It's 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 about tin ceilings and cheese actually. Um, all right. That sounds like a cartoon.
1: Tin ceilings and cheese? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> uh <laughs> you know, it's it's it was this idea that there are trends and there is fashion in art. Right. Of course there is. Um, and that, that, that there are those artists that are sort of timeless because they're not chasing the latest thing. Right. Okay. And then there is the latest thing, which some often defines an era. Right. Okay. And whether or not, certain looks and certain styles become so matched to a particular time that they look dated a few years later or sound dated. Right. I mean, you listen to Pearl jam. It sounds like the early nineties. Sure. Um, but you can listen to certain, say David Bowie or Elvis Costello records from the seventies. And they sound like they were recorded in 1985, you know, or could have been recorded in 1985 or Beatles records, which sound like they could have been made today. Uh, and, and you know, and and I don't want to pull out any specifics because I'm not trying to offend anybody. But there are photographers out there who are doing this like really complex lighting setups with you know strip lights and and where it, almost everything is lit. You know, there's 14 lights going on, and the things look almost hyper lit. Mm-hmm. You know, or or the sort of uh, super HDR. And I, I know I have been partially guilty of this in the past. This sort of over-sharpened kind of look.
0: Sure, um, like ultra-high-pass filter. Yeah, kind I, of, yeah, I
1: don't go as far as some people, but some people go really far. Um, that that these things, which looked amazing, and pe- first time people saw them, they were like, oh, what a great idea that Joe Schmo had. Right. Look how beautiful his work is. You look at it a couple of years later, and you go, wow, that looks really looks a couple of years old. Uh, so whether or not these trends are a good thing, whether or not you should follow them, uh, whether or not people should um, argue against these people f- for the fact that they are doing something that is trendy, you know, mm-hmm. is trendy bad, or is or is trendy just a, 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 an offshoot of time passing and art changing, you know?
0: Well, Bill, I think it was Daryl Hall who said, <laughs> "Style is time, but fashions only now." There you go.
1: No. What 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 song is that in?
0: Uh, Method of Modern Love.
1: You know, Daryl Hall's one monster <laughs> mofo.
0: He's we good. Like, we like the Daryl Hall. God,
1: you know, I I had a <laughs> just quick aside. <laughs> you know, my, my father owned record stores when I was growing up, and uh, there did was we a,
0: really just quote Daryl Hall in a photography podcast? <laughs> yeah, we did, that was, and it's, it worked. It's, it's kind of
1: fit. It's going to get so much worse than that. Uh, <laughs> and we this is not the story i was going to tell but my father okay. owned these record these record stores and there's this guy named bob flecko who worked okay. at my father's store and he used to make tapes like mixtapes and stuff and and he just had this weird thing that he would you know make mixtapes and they were usually of a particular artist he would make sort of his own little greatest hits tapes of a particular artist okay and one of the things that he used to do as well is like record live recordings off of radio and that kind of stuff when they were like live shows of radio. And I remember finding a tape and you always knew they were Bob's tapes because the labels were typed. Okay? Uh of a Daryl Hall John Oates concert from like 1983 or 1985.
0: Some live thing. And they were humongous. And they were
1: huge. Yeah, yeah. And you were and and Daryl Hall is up there. and He's like, wow. Yeah. And he's like singing and he's doing the whole thing. And I'm like, he is so high right now. Like so completely high. Like if he
0: was he doesn't not even know how, high if he wasn't he
1: is. on a pile of cocaine, I don't know what this guy was doing. Like <laughs> anyway. It, and every time I think about that, I'm just like, I wonder if, did, if, if Daryl Hall is just like, wow, what the hell was I thinking? Man, yeah. I went over the top back then. Yeah. Um, Anyway, the point of this, yeah. So Daryl Hall and John Oates, fantastic. Yeah. Here's here's an example. So we went. I went and had lunch with Heather the other day. Uh, at this, Wait,
0: hold on. Are we back to tin ceilings?
1: We're back to the tin ceiling okay. story. Okay, here
0: we go.
1: So went to went to uh, went to this place called the Grand Canyon. It's like this dinery kind of place. Uh, there's one in our neighborhood, but they have these really good seven ounce hamburgers that they that they make. Okay. Uh, very tasty. I think it's incredibly fatty meat, which is probably why it's tasty, but they're really good. So I said, you know, it was Saturday or something and I said, you know, hey, let's go to Grand Canyon and get a hamburger. And she's like, okay, yeah. So we go over there, we sit down and there's tin ceilings. Now in Brooklyn, tin ceilings are a big thing because this was, you know, the, the, a very 19th century Victorian kind of thing. Sure. And then all these buildings are either from back then, like my buildings from 1890, I think was built. Mm. Um, And then there's a bunch that are 20 years older, further up the street. And I was looking at the tin ceiling and I was like, oh, you know, I wonder because people now try to buy old tin ceilings to refab them to, you know, like because they want their thing to look all cool and old and whatever. Right, right. That tin ceilings have now like kind of come back even though they were out of favor for 50 years in the middle. So I was like, you know, what, what is the deal with tin ceilings? So I go and look up tin ceilings, and it turns out that tin ceilings were originally created because tin was really cheap, and people didn't have enough money to do fancy plaster stuff on their ceilings, like huh. the rich people did. Okay. So instead, they would, uh, instead of the fancy plaster stuff, they would put these tin ceilings up, which were stamped in order to sort of mimic plaster and they would paint it with white nice so at a certain point these tin ceilings were what poor people did to mimic rich
0: people they were trying to be something else
1: yeah they were they were fake you know it was Interesting. Like, right and then they go through this evolution where at a certain point they themselves became a cool trend so that now all the rich people who buy these 2 million dollar brownstones want to get tin ceilings and by the way there's old tin ceilings but nowadays they do them in aluminum you can sure get or even up.
0: plastic you right. can get vacuum formed
1: plastic right which apparently you know will last longer and stuff but people don't want that they want the one that'll degrade because that's what it used to be even right, though the right. thing that it used to be was only because it was cheap <laughs> right this is this is the it's just this insanity that goes on that's funny. It yeah, and, and it just got me thinking about these weird sort of cycles, these these sine waves of things that go up and down. I always I'm not a huge cheese eater, right? But I know people who are big cheese people. Cheesy people? Cheesy people. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> and it always kinda of makes me laugh because, you know, cheese was originally invented as a way to store dairy for the winter. You know. We have all this milk. <laughs> What are we going to do? We have too much milk. We got to do something with it. And so they come up with a process to solidify it. And so it lasts longer. And that's cheese. Okay, that's great. But then cheese gets imbued with this huge history of its own. People start fetishizing cheese sure <laughs> and all the different types of cheese and the, this one was made in this place and that thing when originally it was all just like man we just got to get this milk to last longer than three days <laughs> we just need to eat in four months <laughs> exactly and it just it just cracks me up how these things take on a life of their own you know and and in some ways i it, you know the uh it may be that you know natural light, available light stuff is really big, and then oh well, no one wants to hire that guy. They only want to hire guys who are doing more complex lighting setups because that puts you away from the crowd, you know?
0: Right, right. Um, or they're using they're using studio lights to mimic natural light. And oh yeah, that's, that's the mark that's, exactly, that, you right? know, They aspire to sure.
1: And, and and it's it's like you're always kind of you're all you're all on your big wheel chasing these trends all the time. And it just and it and it's like what are they actually or is it all just a big tin, tin ceiling thing where it's all the jokes on us, right, right, right. Um, <laughs> what you laughing at
0: me? Cheesy people. You don't like the cheesy people line? No, it's funny. It's funny. Nikki's a cheesy person. She loves cheese.
1: I don't. You know. I don't. I. I'm not a huge cheese eater. Um, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but anyway, it just it just it got me thinking about that kind of stuff. And and I there are pictures that I've taken that I look at now that I think to myself, wow, that really looks dated. Mm-hmm. You know, that really looks like stuff that I've gone back, actually, and and pulled back the processing of the version that I use to show people because I really like the picture still. I just overdid it. You just it don't on like pr-
0: what you did with it.
1: Right. I overdid okay. the processing back in the day.
0: And do you find that, that you that you do that every so often now that that's become uh, kind of a thing is you'll go back and re- revisit your photographs or or is that something that you would plan to do like okay, so every every couple of years I'm going to go back and look at some of these shots and see what still stands up or what uh, you know, yeah. I look at him and uh, I go, Jesus, what was I thinking here? N-
1: no, it's it's not the kind of thing that I do all the time. I think there was a period late 2008, early 2009 when I went a little too far. 2008 mm-hmm. and early 2009, I, I went too far. And I had to go in and, and back it up a little bit. <laughs> back it up.
0: Beep. Back it up, yeah, Beep. yeah, yeah. You know, just because it goes to eleven doesn't mean you need to use it on eleven. Yeah, and
1: I think that that might have been a, uh, a pr- the pr- a process of going through my growth as an artist.
0: I wonder, did this like that?
1: That's a place I had to visit before I could get to where I am. Like I, did o- I correspond? overshot the mark.
0: Did it correspond at all to to moving from film to digital?
1: No, it was all. This was all in digital. Okay. Um, it. W- I think, it, I think it's a, this is going to sound really pompous, but it's, you know, since it's just, no. you, since it's just you and I listening, That's right. go on. <laughs> 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 I I think it's a sign of my maturity. Okay. That I've gotten that to the you point can where go I go back to these or that, that I don't have to anymore. Ah, okay. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: Sure. Sure. Um,
1: that the stuff that I've done the past two and a half years, I still am pretty happy with,
0: you know. And is that because you think you've got a handle on the technical side of it, or the aesthetic side of it, or a little bit of both?
1: I think I'm a better retoucher, uh, and I think that I use, I use processing as less of a crutch nowadays. Okay. Like my shots are better to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I don't require a whole lot of crazy stuff to get them looking the way that makes me happy.
0: Do you ever see a point and and maybe it's not even possible. Maybe this is a limit of, of the technology and the way sensors record light now, but do you, do you see it? Do you see a possibility of where straight out of the camera is good enough? Oh, for a lot of people it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even shooting digitally, because I find most digital files are still a little flat.
1: Well, I mean, you could you could choose to do a lot more in camera processing, you know, play with your saturation, contrast, all kinds of settings in the camera. You're
0: spitting out a JPEG, aren't you?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. So you're basically saying, you know, could you be happy with just the raw file that comes out? I mean, probably not. But, you know, the people in film days weren't really happy with what was on the film. They were happy with the print that was made. Mm-hmm. and There are all kinds mm-hmm. of decisions made between the negative and the print. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that I think that uh, if, I think there are people who could be happy loading a raw file into, say, the Lightroom. And saying, put this on import. Add this settings, you sure. know, overlay. Right. You know, right, know, this, right. this
0: much shadow thing and this much contrast. Right, right. Punch the contrast. Yeah. Punch the brightness. Whatever it is. So yeah.
1: there are there are people who I'm sure could get away with that. In fact, there are a lot of people who just use Lightroom, right, and never go into Photoshop. So whatever they're doing, they're just doing it in, say, Lightroom uh, or Aperture. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, Aperture. Where's Aperture for? Well, hello. Yeah.
1: But you see what I'm saying though, that, that people, I think there are people out there who could, for me, I I don't think that my look, my look needs more than that, or rather I need to pay. I want to pay, not need more attention to my work than that.
0: We have a friend who is a wedding photographer, a very good wedding photographer, actually Uh, shoots JPEG and does zero. Yeah. The way it comes out of the camera. That's it.
1: Yeah. And, and
0: unless they're, you know, some, something drastic, but in terms of, of going through and, and processing images doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, probably he or she probably can't, you know, doesn't have time. I mean, there are mm-hmm. a lot of wedding photographers who do do a lot of post, but then there's plenty of others who are just like, well, you know what, this is what you get. Is, is he or she more of a documentary sort of photographer? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, very but, much so. Okay. Well then
0: and it fits the style perfectly. Exactly. I, yeah. I don't want to put them on the spot, but you know who you are.
1: Right. Uh, I think that that's the case. I, th- the difference is, is that when I'm deliver, if I go and do a shoot and I'm delivering, I'm delivering four or five pictures. Right. Ultimately. And maybe only one or two of them gets used. So for me to be able to call my hundred down to four or five and yeah, I'll take 20 minutes to process each of those four or five and get it. So, If they say that's the one I want, I can hand them a JPEG version, and I'm done. I don't have to spend any more time on it. You know, Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. these
1: these five or six are done, ready to go. If you want one of these, it'll take an hour or two, right? Um, So, uh,
0: yeah, it's interesting. I say that a lot, don't I? It's interesting, yeah, because it is. (laughs) I I mean, I think that that you know, there there should be something to be said about those who allow things to be interesting.
1: True. No, you're right. You're right. It's a, it's, it's a weird thing. Do you also, I mean, getting back to that place to be kind of idea. Do you think that Paris in the 1920s and thirties had a certain kind of specialness or Berlin at the turn of the century
0: from or, from what i've seen in you know books magazine yes or new york in the 50s absolutely okay
1: to the point where if you go to paris to be an artist now or go to new york to be an artist now you've missed it you know it's like you're you're trying to capture something that doesn't exist anymore and that maybe the place to be is shanghai
0: yeah, I think, I think for certain types of, of art and craft, absolutely. And that, there, and, and that there are places to be that you will – uh, taking even success, whatever that means, out of the picture. Uh, just uh, environments to foster creativity or to foster your creativity in a certain direction, I think, is very specific to certain geographies or locales
1: and geography and time.
0: Sure, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And that's the one that kind of that doesn't scare me. But you know, I I live in I live in New York City. I live in Brooklyn, and in some ways Brooklyn's like one of the cool places to be, right? It's like Austin was a few years ago.
0: Right. That was well, a Patrick on Stewart lives there, doesn't he? So Yeah, Patrick Stewart lives that. a
1: couple blocks away from me, right? So if if Picard lives near you, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> But I mean, he's not gonna live in a dump. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, well, yeah,
1: right. Um but there there is a certain question that, you know, maybe instead of living in southern Brooklyn, I should be living up in Williamsburg, which mm-hmm. you know, some friends of mine live in. And I don't particularly like Williamsburg, but that's where all the younger artists are not all of them, but that's where, you know, there's a higher concentration of younger artists so maybe i would meet more people if i lived there and that would lead to some sort of larger creative explosion or networking connections i couldn't make otherwise or mm-hmm. or 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 right
0: well it, there's also the matter of perspective i mean we, we look at
1: i use a tilt shift lens i don't worry about it <laughs> nice
0: <laughs> uh, our photographer of the week this week who we'll get to i had never heard of and i'm looking at this work going, oh my gosh, you know, if, 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 if I could have been in a place like this, or if I could, uh, have opportunities to shoot people like this, then, then it would be different then. And I would have, but I think every generation does that. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. People look at pictures taken in the seventies and they say, that, that, oh, in the 70s, people were so cool and whatever. And I, if I was there, I would have taken pictures like Annie or whoever else.
0: Right, right. Um, uh, but to your point, I, I think that, that there have been cultural shifts or cultural explosions or, you know, uh, however you want to define it, uh, that have been specific to a particular time and place. New York in the 70s had a specific sensibility, a a specific aesthetic, a specific look and feel that will never, ever be duplicated anywhere else in the world.
1: Including in New York.
0: Right. Including in New York. Absolutely. You know, Paris in the 20s, Paris in the 2020s will never be the equivalent of what Paris in the 1920s was.
1: So if you're going there now, are you deluding yourself?
0: I don't think you're deluding yourself, but I think, I think there needs to be some sort of preparation of what to expect.
1: Or, or do you think that the you know interconnectedness of the internet world means it doesn't really matter where you live? I guess the question is: is is where you live a matter of exposure, or is your is where you live a matter of subject? Does See, that I make sense?
0: I, yeah, it, it does. I don't know. I mean. Uh, for example, Z- San Francisco in the 60s had a, a, a particular vibe, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was 1968, 67, uh, and, 69. And there are parts of San Francisco, like in The Hate, that are to a certain extent still trying to hold on to that mentality, that sensibility, the way of life. And on some level, it's just kind of sad. Posers. It's... Yeah, however you want to call it. You know when it, it,
1: when I was at Berkeley, there was a very large international contingency at Berkeley. Okay. Huge, like 48% international students, you know, something wow. like that. Okay. I knew a girl from Andorra. <laughs> There're like 18,000 people in all the entire country of Andorra and I knew one of them and I said, "Wow, you being here, is that screwing up your census at home?" <laughs> 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 she got very angry at me.
0: Yeah. Uh. Um, well, anyway, but, but you know but, what I mean?
1: It's it, Absolutely. But there was there were all these Japanese kids who are were really into America and they wore Harley Davidson boots and they smoked Marlboro cigarettes and they played Stratocasters. Right. And it's like, do you understand that this is no longer what America is doing? You're, you're right. emulating America from forty years ago.
0: Yeah, you're you're emulating an America, not the america the way it is now yeah and maybe even
1: the america that you're emulating that is just this weird imaginary thing sure yeah, which uh, is why i think when there are some people in the reverse who become japanophiles mm-hmm. you know they're all anime this and whatever that and you know hello right. kitty whatever and it's like okay but real japan isn't like that you're you're seeing
0: this weird yeah yeah vertical are slice Japanese of japan going where the hell do you guys get this yeah exactly yeah. Well, and then there's a, is it, is it Harajuku? I think it's Hirajiku, where it, it's, it's sort of, you know, rockabilly it, yeah. and, and it, they're, they're holding on to this sort of, uh, almost fictionalized slice of, of Americana or American culture. Yeah. And no. I think it's amazing and I think what's coming out of there in terms of 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 fashion and music and and just the aesthetic that they've locked onto is incredible. I mean it's it's striking and and it's amazing to look at, but I don't know that it ever existed in the way that it's being portrayed.
1: No, absolutely. And maybe not. that's the point. Right? Or or maybe it's by them trying to by the you know the, the kid going the the art student going to Paris to capture something that painters captured, you know, in in the twenties. Maybe that will inspire her to start some new movement, mm-hmm. a, a rebirth, you know, sort of like the Harlem Renaissance. You know? Sure. Um. It, it, it. But I guess the question is: Does any of that matter? Because if if you're chasing, if you're chasing a place or a location, isn't that just like chasing that's like chasing a trend chasing a look you know chasing a style of art because that's what's in right now sure maybe it's it's, maybe what you need to do is just put your head down and you if you happen to be in the wave that pulls you to shore it's going to happen if you try to swim towards that wave the wave's going to be gone by the time you get there
0: sure uh my uh, a friend of mine father bill moore a painter uh he calls it painting with someone else's brush yep yeah, And it's, you're shooting with someone else's camera. You're, you're writing with someone else's pen or, or typewriter or, or whatever it is, rather than, you know, finding your voice and, and letting these things influence you, but not necessarily letting them drive you.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a fine line though.
0: Absolutely. It's, and, it's, and I think anybody who's done anything creative is guilty of being on one side or the other, maybe both simultaneously.
1: Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, after, after the break, I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit.
0: Fine. Uh, what, are we, what are we talking about at the break? We're going to talk about Squarespace. Squarespace. We like Squarespace. We do like Squarespace. Uh, look, There's a lot of choices out there. If, but-
1: if, if, you, need, if you need hosting... If if you need a place to put your website, if you need a place to put your images, need to make a portfolio or a blog uh, and don't want to deal with all of the complexities of of doing it yourself, Squarespace is is what you want.
0: Um, Yeah, short of hiring someone else to do it, uh, this is going to be the absolute, Yeah, you know if not the definitely one of the best solutions out there
1: yeah uh all new beautiful templates they got this drag and drop interface you can drag stuff from your desktop onto your browser window uh, all of their designs are responsive so they as your browser gets smaller all the way down to a phone they still look great uh and crazy social media integration so you can you can pull content from your existing blogs uh, okay
0: have you figured that out yet
1: Oh yeah yeah that's kind of that's
0: kind of magic how they how oh they how have, they do
1: it exactly I have no yeah. idea how
0: they do it because you you had an existing WordPress blog yep migrated over to Squarespace yep. and they pull, and you were doing crazy things with your images anyway yes although they, I, pull,
1: I, I had I had to I had to uncrazify my images
0: okay <laughs> but, but it found everything formatted correctly but yeah everything,
1: everything came all over I mean you 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 basically give it the keys to your kingdom you you give Squarespace your login to your say WordPress installation. Mm-hmm. And it goes into the databases of the WordPress installation, and i 'm sure they 're in some sort of xML format or something you know some sort of crazy thing mm-hmm. uh, or other are mysql and they go and they pull all the data out and they they pull it into their system and it worked great
0: yeah, so uh, you were up and running in in less than an hour from yeah and I had one to I
1: had twelve hundred posts, so it took a little while for it yeah, to yeah. import um that's but with the great the fact that these templates are are that clean and beautiful and just let your content show off yeah um that the that, that it's easy the drag and drop stuff is fantastic i mean even moving uh uh moving layouts around and that kind of stuff is is fantastic
0: uh, and responsive is the way you want to go, kids. Absolutely. You yeah. don't. You don't yeah. want. Especially. You know, if you're an information site, uh, that's that's one thing. Maybe there are some plugins to handle data a lot better or differently. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a photographer or a creative professional or something, you want the images to show. Yep. And uh, regardless right. of what what someone is visiting your website on.
1: Yeah. And, and, and putting that stuff back out there by integrating with Facebook and Twitter, and all that kind of stuff is fantastic too. And for, for somebody who, if you're linking to stuff on Amazon and you have your uh, affiliate link, you put that in the settings and anything you link to on Amazon automatically gets your affiliate codes. Uh, and the, one of the great things they have, they give you a free domain domain name and they handle all the hosting obviously. And they have 24 hour customer support, which I used once and it was fantastic. I had answers in 30 seconds from a person from a person yeah. yeah i mean i was chatting online with them cuz i find that easier sometimes than talking sure. on the phone sure uh but they were there they were right away they they looked into the problem i was having and they you know had answers for me they were knowledgeable so they're fantastic and the greatest thing about it is that you can go try them out for free no credit card required no
0: nothing uh yeah this is this is kind of crazy that they don't ask any they're so confident no. in that you're going to dig their thing that
1: yeah. just go try it yeah you can go use it for two weeks and set things up and move things around and play with it and it doesn't cost you a thing uh,
0: uh also if two weeks isn't enough you can send them uh you can respond to an email and they will extend your trial for another two weeks will so they? If, you, if you yeah if you didn't get to it yeah uh you can you They're just simply people. respond and uh, they'll give you another two uh
1: so uh, go over to squarespace.com slash otp for on taking pictures, and start a free trial, no credit card required. Uh, when you're ready to purchase, uh, just use the offer code Fancy Photographer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that really still Jeff- what it is? Oh yeah, till the
1: end of the month, oh, and you awesome. will get 10 percent off your order. So uh, you should go do that now. <laughs> Why are you mm, laughing at me? I,
0: it's just good. It's good stuff. Is that is that really good stuff? It is good stuff. Do you think people stuff. like that? I think I think yeah yeah sure fancy (laughs) fancy Cremudgeon? sure
1: uh so yeah we gotta
0: gotta register fancycremudgeon.com before somebody gets it
1: (laughs) yeah we should we'll (laughs) use that next time so uh squarespace thanks for coming with us uh squarespace thank you everything you need to build exceptional websites uh yeah we like them they're good people so i was doing some lighting research the other night how so watching movies Okay. Uh, in this particular case, Catch Me If You Can. Oh,
0: great movie. Yeah. Now, for those of on, you— On so many levels, that is a great movie.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's fun. It's beautiful. Knock, uh, knock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so good. <laughs> well, because Hanks is good. Hanks is always good.
0: Yes, he is. Is Hanks ever not good? Nope. Not for my money. Damn. Um, and and from all uh, evidence, seems to be a nice guy. Uh,
1: yeah, no, totally supposed to be a nice guy. I mean, look, we had that, that Dan Winters, uh, story. Remember?
0: Yeah. Uh, take all the time you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool.
1: That kind of stuff's excellent. So anyway, I, I, was thinking to myself, you know, I've heard that, uh, that they used a lot of available lighting in that movie. That's what I heard. And it and? turned out not to exactly be true because I did some search uh, and I found an article about the movie um, in like American Cinematographer magazine or one of those
0: things. Doesn't, and if, doesn't Claude know the cinematographer or something? He knows everybody, Claude, doesn't he? Claude's, yeah,
1: Claude's all the, I don't know if he knows him, but Claude's a, a, a super fan of him.
0: Have, have Claude give you the 411 on that.
1: Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Janis
1: Kaminsky is the uh, cinematographer and these people do these crazy inter, uh, interviews with American cinematographer magazine. So this is there's an article. In fact, I'll put it in the show notes uh, back in January of 2003, where they did an interview with the guys talking about, you know, how they did all the stuff on the sh- on, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And if you are a photographer who likes to sort of get that cinema cinematic look to your stuff. Uh, reading these articles is a fantastic way to do it um, because these people, you, you you learn how they lit the movie and it gives you so many ideas of, of how to light your own stuff. For example, um, there's those scenes in the bank, you know, where, where it's just like it's like a big cathedral kind of bank. Right, right, um, right. So... And it looks like it's all just naturally lit. Apparently they had like 30 giant 18K lights outside the top windows. (laughs) Nice. Ringing the building. Just blasting in light from all sides. Wow. uh, From the outside. So that they didn't have to have any lights inside. Wow. So basically they made it mimic sunlight right they like overdid the sunlight to make it look real you know that kind of thing right which is just it's just very cool that they could do that you know they filmed 180 scenes in 53 days in this movie wow apparently it's like like crazy 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 fast
0: uh stuff well and kaminsky's no slouch
1: no they were doing they were doing like some scenes they were doing eight scenes a day and they were setting these things up, and they didn't have a lot of time to go crazy on lighting them perfectly. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd do a shot. It it would work out or it didn't work out. Or, you know, the, the, the acting was fine. The directing was fine. But they weren't completely sold on how it looked or whatever it is. And they'd say, you know, that wasn't a good one for us. And he'd say, well, you missed your chance because it's good for me and we're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because Spielberg... <laughs> now, granted, we're walking, we're walking. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Spielberg's like, look, I don't know, I'm not waiting for you. Right. You know, like you, you, you're, I, I keep you here because you are incredibly good at what you do, but I'm not, I can't wait for you. Right. Right. You know? Right. Um and and some of the things that they talked about were fascinating. The fact that they lit him cuz it was uh DiCaprio was say 27 when they did this or 28. They had to make him look like he was 16 in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So they lit him really flatly to sort of get rid of any sort of lines on his face when he was younger and then slowly made his his craggliness more dramatic wow. as time went on, you know. Um that they, they, they had <laughs> this setup, which I can't remember what they said, and I, I'm I'm looking to try it to get this really soft light. They had a 12 foot diffuser, 12 by 12 foot diffusion, uh, you know, segment like a, just a panel. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And they didn't just blow a light through the diffusion panel. They blew a light onto a reflector, and that reflected light went through the diffuser panel. So wow. it was sort of like doubly or triply diffused.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: You know, to get this certain kind of light. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, th- th- we have soft boxes that diffuse one panel and then then there's the front panel. So there's a couple layers of diffusion there. But, like, what if you, you know, put another larger diffusion panel in front of the soft box to go a whole right. other layer down? And, it acts, you know, this week I was thinking of doing some tests where I did this kind of stuff. Like, try different. Now, it, this stuff is very, this is minutiae, Right. Sure. As long as you're softening your thing with an umbrella, shoot through, shoot uh, you know, soft lighter, soft box, whatever, all these things look, you can make all these things work, right? You Mm -hmm. don't need this gear to make it look exactly right. But there is, there is differences of minutia between things. And sometimes it's fun to fetishize. And so I was thinking of trying out a lot of these techniques, get a model over here and do some sort of AB tests. That if I cool. diffuse this again, what's it look like? you know that what
0: kind of thing. uh it was a couple of shows ago. What were we talking about where somebody blasted light through background paper
1: oh, that was uh uh greg heisler okay through yeah through a white uh, a, a a roll of white paper he was blasting <laughs> light through, which is like unbelievable <laughs> amount. He said it was like f ninety on the back of the paper and like three point five on the front. <laughs> Yeah. Like he lost 80% of his light. Nice. Um, but it worked. But it and, was soft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, you, could you, th- here's a question though. Could you get a similar look by, you know, doing what we're talking about, you know, using diffusion panels or multiple diffusion panels or, or what have you?
0: Uh, Carl Taylor uses, uh, he, he makes his own diffusion panels out of like big rolls of tracing paper and one by two frames
1: tracing paper
0: yeah glues down does tracing that, paper does that get I mean, like does vellum he, does he move them around a lot um no they're just kind of put in place okay and, but they're they're big you know like four yeah. by six panels yep. of and then he just blows light through them and it's just it's this beautiful soft wrap around light he uses yeah. it for a lot of product photography
1: uh i use i have you know i have a few little circular things you know 36 inch or whatever they are mm-hmm. um but i also I also have like a four by six foot diffusion panel that I don't use that often, but I, I should use more Mm -hmm. for stuff like this. And that's what I'm going to use to test. The point of all this is to say that looking at other photographers is great, but don't forget that cinematographers are often doing even better work than a lot of still photographers um, to get that. They're so good at getting that, that, that sort of magic look. You know, yeah. a lot of times it's this backlit stuff and warm in the front and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but they do it in such a way that these rooms just sort of come alive. And if you want to learn how to light, I am an amateur. It, people, Some people think that I'm good. I feel like nothing compared to the, the stuff that I see on these things. Mm-hmm. And so reading things like that American cinematographer magazine, or, uh, you know, I was talking to Jeffrey before the show. I was, I'm going to put another link in the show notes. There's a podcast called the Terrence and Phillip show, which Jeffrey found funny because of the South park reference.
0: (laughs) Hello, Terrence. Um,
1: and it's these, these two, uh, video guys, right? Like one of them is, is a post-production house guy. The other one owns a company that does post-production software or something. Mm -hmm. and, they had a 15 minute show this week. They Their shows are a lot shorter than ours, uh, where they were talking about resolution in video, you know, 1080p and, and and 4k and whether people want more resolution or, you know, whether they're looking for an escape. They don't want realism. They want, you know, and it's just interesting that people are having discussions similar to the discussions that we are having, but just in the domain of film.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're 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 spending time talking about, 48 frames per second. That's versus twenty
1: four 24%. That's what they were talking about today. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it,
1: you know, doing research in movies, like looking at lighting. Uh, I, you know, I've never seen, I, I'm planning to go see Lincoln this week. Um, but I have not seen there will be blood. I, n- I never movie. got around to seeing it. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. Um, and Claude friend of the show was sort of, uh, like, you know, gushing over the fact that, you know, th- that there will be blood. It goes from so dark down in these pits and, and stuff where it's almost all black and just highlights on the, on the, on the oil and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. all the way up to it's so bright outside that it just blows things out, you know, yeah. in, in that way that film blows out that digital doesn't, you know, um, and that, 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 that sometimes doing this kind of research, sometimes the correct exposure is not the right exposure. Hmm. you know uh, and so looking at this stuff can really help and these these American cinematographer reviews are fantastic so if you go I think you could just go back on their website and read all this crazy stuff and they talk about production design and tricks and, and how they did things and why they did things and how much time they had and it, it's just it's just fascinating fascinating who the, stuff
0: who was the DP on right, hold on oh Elswit okay uh, he did uh, Robert Elswit did Magnolia the town yeah which actually looked really nice
1: magnolia is beautiful movie yeah magnolia was gorgeous um so anyway stuff to go look at down there yeah hey uh what do you think about this copyright lawsuit non-photo related but but art related
0: Uh, art related and and if upheld uh, ramifications could be photo related okay right um yeah. Okay. So, so the, the long and short of it is, Woody Allen is being sued by uh, Faulkner's estate. I guess the people that 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 manage Faulkner's work. This would be right? uh,
1: this would be uh,
0: Joe Faulkner. That's <laughs> right. Skeeter Faulkner. Yeah. Uh, what uh, Faulkner Literary Rights, which represents William Faulkner's estate. Yep. Okay. So they they sued. Representatives of Woody Allen's *Midnight in Paris* for misquoting the famous line, <laughs> "The past is never dead; it's not even past." Okay, so they're suing Woody Allen not for using Faulkner's quote, yeah. but for misquoting. Well,
1: I Faulkner. think they're—I think they're—they're they're suing him for using it, even though they misquoted it.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: he changed uh, it.
0: Um, and the, here's, okay. The, let's see. Wait. Uh, the the okay in the film. Uh, uh, he says the past is not dead, actually it's not even past. Right. And the and the, the the real quote is the past is never dead, it's not even past. I don't this I don't know about this. I mean it, this is it seems a little superfluous.
1: Okay, well this the reason I put this in the in the notes was okay, Faulkner died a long long time ago. Yes. Uh that he died in 1962. This poem that there, that this quote is being misquoted from is from 1950. This guy's been dead for 50 years.
0: Right. Is this still... In theory, that the way copyright first was established, this should have gone seven years and then done. right. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and, even if you say the lifetime of the artist, I could, I could see going a little past the lifetime of the artist. Let's say that for me, for example, just as a, as a thing, if I died tomorrow and all of my work gets given to Heather, say Mm -hmm. that if I suddenly become hot the day after I die, that Heather could get something out of my work, you know, help her live better. (laughs) Sure. After I die, I understand that. But the point at which you're getting down to like the grandchildren of the people,
0: right? This or is, a corporation? This is
1: <laughs> yes, or the or the uh, the Faulkner Literary Rights, <laughs> right. you know, as, you know, which represents the estate. This is not what it was meant to be. No, this is not what what it's. It bothers me. Um, well, it should. It's it, the, at a certain point you are making art. And society is is benefiting from that. And yeah, Faulkner benefited from that when he was alive and, say, 10 years after he dies. I mean, look, this goes back to the whole Disney article, you know, thing. I am a, I am a, a, a maker of creative works, and I think it's ridiculous. You know, where a lot of people would say that I'm supposed to uphold copyright for perpetuity. You know, if that, no, that should be my position.
0: It's not my position. It stifles creativity. Yeah. This, I mean, look, this country was built on, and, and you know, other countries, built on the idea that I can pick up this widget and go, you know, this widget's cool, but I think I can make it a little better. Yes. Yeah. I think I can improve this widget. Now, th- okay, this is how ridiculous it's gotten. Apple was just re- awarded a patent on rounded corners. Yes. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, so it seems like we've gotten to this place where people are squatting on uh, and companies are squatting on patent rights, copywritten material and waiting for their chance to litigate. And as a, as a creator of, of work, whatever it is, you always have to think about that. Yep. And that shouldn't be in the process that thinking about whether you're infringing on somebody's, copyright or patent shouldn't be in the creative process in my opinion
1: well in, in 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 these in the article they were talking about how woody allen's production company and his lawyers and stuff and, and lawyers they talk to are just kind of like this is this is ridiculous because first of all he misquoted it you know so oh so now it is you know eight words and therefore uh faulkner has a, a right to those eight words in perpetuity like that's right. ridiculous you know right um that that his his production company basically says we have the right to sort of quote this poem for use of, you know, satire. Like this is fair use essentially, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm, that we're mm-hmm. making commentary on it by using it in another piece of art. Which I tend to agree with, right. It's not Faulkner's not going to sell less books because Woody Allen quoted him in a movie.
0: You know, Misquoted him.
1: Yeah, well, right. But that that would be the argument, right? Right, right. Um So it's, it's this, it's this interesting sort of, at what point does a piece of work or, or a style or something become part of the social lexicon that is so imbued that it almost loses, you know, the authorship sort of that, that, you know, the, the Picasso painting of the four women that's in MoMA, you know, like Mm -hmm, sort of mm -hmm. classic one. Like if you made a, a fake version of that with photographs, you know, do you have to go pay the Picasso estate or is it like, oh, well, that's such a famous picture. Painting that, that, that it is, it is beyond copyright from the copyright point of view. And this is just part of our society and what we've created as, as a people, um, which I tend to agree with, you know, uh, but it just, it, it, it just begs the question of how this stuff has gotten so out of control. Now, there are people who use my stuff and put it up all over the place, you know, and online and whatever it is. And at a certain point you can't fight it. Mm hmm oh, look, somebody used my uh, motion thing in some country that I'm never going to be able to get to the people. you know. And even if I did, I'd get $200 out of them, but it cost me $2,000 to sue right, them. Right, to litigate it. Yeah. Right, true. so okay, well, there's nothing I can do about that. Maybe if my name is somewhere near it, somebody will notice me and maybe I'll get work out of that. I mean, there's some people who put their stuff out there in creative commons and use it for whatever you want and hire me if you want something new. That's a weird thing to me, but that sort of takes out art for art's sake and that's just art for hire right um, which is a whole different paradigm I don't know it's just, it's just interesting anyway read the article we'll put it in the show notes uh, I yeah it's it was very
0: strange where, where we've gotten to with regard to this
1: yeah uh, do you put up this Gizmodo thing of the astronaut talking about taking pictures in space
0: uh, I did it's been kind of all over the place now uh, Chase Jarvis uh, had posted about it it was on Gizmodo Chase who? But- <laughs> wow wow <laughs> 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 Go ahead,
1: you're saying <sighs> oh, yeah,
0: anyway uh so it, it's a, it's an interesting film it's a, it's It's pretty long it's about a half hour long, but it's it's uh astronaut Donald Pettit talking about uh, filming aboard the international space Station and and what that means and and how they approached it from from a gear standpoint, from a technical standpoint. Uh, one of the things he was talking about was sunsets and sunrises, for example, where we have uh, several minutes to get the shot, quote-unquote, where they have, you know, they're moving at 34,000 miles an hour, so they've got seven seconds yeah. uh, to get these shots. Yeah. And uh, very interesting look at how uh, the optics and how stabilization platforms have progressed, allowing them to get down to 10 meters from space yeah looking at cities uh and and doing you know night shots at at crazy isos and having them just be these these gorgeous sort of uh tenderly filamenty uh photographs of 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 cities at night and and how it's an interesting look at how we structure our cities as well
1: i thought Uh, it was interesting the way he talked about how just taking pictures of um just taking pictures of the ground isn't interesting because they have satellites that can do that. Right. What can we create that requires a human's perception?
0: Right. Right. You know,
1: which which was interesting to me because it's he's true. It's 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 true that, you know, we have robots that can do a lot of this stuff now. Why mm-hmm. bother having a person up there if they're not doing something other than what the robots can do?
0: Right, right. Well um, and, and even aboard the space station. He's he was saying that he he shoots a lot with a fish eye, so he tries to find circular patterns in the space station architecture itself to lessen the severity of the look of shooting with a fisheye
1: that is a serious fisheye he was using too
0: oh it was like eight millimeter or something yeah
1: yeah it's really really wide yeah um no interesting really interesting and then how they they modified uh i think it was a d3x or s to x is x which one is the one with the really high res X? I think it's, I think it's the X. Okay. Uh, to, to modify it, to remove the IR filter, right? Mm-hmm. So they could, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Uh, and I think there were, at one point there were some Canon cameras you could get where you could get the IR remo- removed for, uh, astronomical use. Okay. It was a thing for a while. Um, it, it's, so they were taking these pictures that saw things that we wouldn't see normally. Right. That back in the day, they would use infrared film to do it, but now they don't need. You know, they can't. Don't have that option. Right. Right. The other, right. The other thing that was fascinating is that he mentioned the the fact that they used to use a D two X or whatever, and then before that, they used some the, the one of those Kodak Nikon cameras from like two thousand two. Hmm. Hmm. And so I went and looked it up because there was a review of it on DP review.
0: Yeah, what weren't they? It was like a it was a Nikon camera with a Kodak back or something. Yeah, it was
1: essentially an F5 okay. W- that was modified by Kodak with a 6 megapixel sensor. And it looks exactly I mean it, it's it still has the F5 name on it like on part hmm. of it, you know. Um but they did a review on uh DP Review and it was 6 megapixels and they show some of those resolution charts that go down to 18, I think on the, you know, on those like weird converging lines thing. Right. Right. Where you can see stuff up to 18. And then there was another one that was, uh, I, I, I pulled up, say the 5d Mark three just as like a, a, a comparison kind of thing. And, uh, the ones for the ones for the, uh, 5d Mark three went all the way down to like 28. I think what wow. it was. Wow. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 36. Wow, yeah. So the w- the amount of inf- the, the how much better our stuff has gotten in the right. past
0: Just resolving power of, the, uh, of these sensors, and unbelievable. And yeah. Like how far
1: we've come in ten years, and it gets to this point where it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, this you you're complaining about about technology is insane <laughs> right
0: yeah you know, your, your gear is not your limit we keep coming back to that yeah
1: it's like and you look at this and it's just like people were making great stuff on this camera 10 years ago mm-hmm. you have you have equipment that is five times better than it in any way shape and form that costs 600 bucks right go shoot and take the picture it's gonna work you can <laughs> figure take it the out picture yeah are there things that are outside the dynamic range of a digital camera sure there are i'm sure um, but they were way but, but no, outside
0: of the it, range. So make yeah. figure out a way to make it work. And chances are uh, people aren't going to look at your stuff and go, well, if you, if you only had a couple more stops, either direction, this would be yeah. a great shot.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I have the, I have the problem too, where I try to capture the whole thing as opposed to using the limitations to good effect, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are people who will let things go to hard black shadow and use that shape as negative space, and you know
0: all that kind of well, stuff. We we talked about that with Irving Penn, where he would let things go to black, yeah, and absolutely. and use them as graphic elements as well. I would love to see if
1: those negatives are actually that far gone, or if that mm-hmm. was done in 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 the in the dark right. Um anyway so just just the fact that he was talking about using these cameras 10 years ago on the space station and the space shuttle and how much better things have gotten for them right unbelievably better you know Oh right? and
0: I I love how he made the uh the tracker he, yeah he- made this tracker out of a a Makita drill motor and an IMAX platform, an old discarded IMAX platform because they don't use film anymore. Right. So I just whipped this together. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what? It it gets boring in space for engineers. (laughs) (laughs) I love Makita drills. Yeah. I still have mine from like 15 years ago. Still works. Yeah, probably still works great. Um, Hey, have you tried this Red River paper? Yeah, you know I have. Yeah, but how many slices... Okay, this is not a real... This is uh, the re- reason we're bringing this up. This is not a Red River ad per se. Um but they they've got this But this new, is
0: really good paper. Yeah,
1: so they <laughs> Red River uh has come out with a new paper called San Gabriel semi-gloss fiber and if you are into printing and liked darkroom didn't really like uh, the papers available for uh for inkjet printing or the fine art papers that were available were a little too uh you know uh, raw paper for you you should really try this stuff out
0: yeah i i think i probably no I, there's no probably i think i like this better than the polar mat
1: okay i agree with you uh i have not decided whether or not i like it better than uh the uh, stuff that i use what's the stuff that i use ultra pro the, U- ultra
0: pro i uh, i like it it's not it's different yeah, it's I like the finish on it. It really does feel like a darkroom paper.
1: Right. So it's 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 fiber paper, uh, and then it's coated with the same stuff that uh fiber paper in the darkroom was coated with, which was like this mineral. Um like barium. Yeah, it's like a barium sulfate. sulfate. Barium oxide something.
0: Yeah. Barium something. Which
1: so it it basically is darkroom fiber paper without the photosensitive coating on
0: it. Right. Uh, it is it's 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 cellulose stock it's not it's not like a a, a plastic or a resin paper and
1: all natural so it's not it's no plastic on top Mm -hmm. uh, which is what's really nice about it and uh archival acid-free the whole nine yards and i printed uh, a, a black and white shot of i've only used a couple slices so far i printed out a black and white shot of uh some trees in the methuselah grove um and i was very impressed by the way it looks uh, the, 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 for, for sort of a more matte paper, uh, mm-hmm. the blacks were really dark. The, you know, it had a nice sort of waxy sheen on the top. If you looked at an angle with light enough to make it seem that, obvious that it was coated, but not so much that it looked like it was a big mirror.
0: Right. Um, put, put the link to the, to the review in the show yeah, notes. I'm going to put you... the
1: link to the review in the show notes. Uh, but if you're into printing and you're not satisfied with a lot of papers or you want to try something that's a little closer to dark room, have you tried color on it?
0: Yes. I did a a shot from Yosemite on it.
1: And the colors are saturated.
0: I like it a lot. Okay,
1: So anyway, go try it out. It's not,
0: okay. Let me qualify that for a sec. Uh, It's it's not like a glossy. It's, you're not getting that, that type of, of finish on it, but they're very, very good.
1: Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, go try some out. Uh, and if you go to, they're still friends of the show. So if you want to go to red river paper slash OTP, uh, and use the code OTP when you order, you can uh, get 10% off and go, go order some like a small box of this stuff or, or I think you can even get a, uh, a sample kit that includes yeah. it. Uh, try uh, it out. The, the 50
0: sheets are still on back order. So you, you can get 20, 20 sheets. Okay. Cause boxes. yeah, that's
1: what they sent us. Yeah. Um, so anyway, good stuff. Uh, San Gabriel semi-gloss fiber from red river. So we, we, we like it. And, uh, I put her, I did a review up on the blog just cause I liked it so much. Uh, other emails we got?
0: Uh, colorizing. Okay. That was one, wasn't it? Yeah. Colorizing.
1: Yeah. Balaji dot. Is that Balaji, correct?
0: Balaji, thank you for writing in. Hope we're not butchering your name.
1: Yeah. Uh, he's, we, we talked a lot about turning, converting to black and white last week and whether it was difficult or easy and how to do it and different ways to do it. Uh, and his point was that sometimes colorizing photos can be really cool. Uh, and arguably sometimes pretty creepy.
0: Um, yeah, or, it is. Do you find it creepy? Of, uh, these particular photos of Lincoln, especially the portrait. Yeah, really creepy.
1: Okay. So uh, the idea is that you can go and, you know, take these black and white photos and they, they colorize them so they feel a lot more real. Um,
0: I don't think they feel more real to me.
1: You, They feel less real to you. Yes. See, th- the ones that are more delicately done... Like the, the one shot, uh, like uh, 11 out of 27 in this list uh, with the blue tie on where he's kind of leaning against the table. Uh, that one feels more real to me than the black and white shot. Okay. Uh, and it almost makes you feel like, oh, now it, it gives you a better sense of what he probably looked like in real life.
0: Well, he looked like Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> um, I agree. I think, I think it's pretty... I, I've tried doing this before and I'm terrible at it just because I can't draw. So mm-hmm. trying to colorize things well is, is a tricky thing. Um, I think it sometimes helps and sometimes takes you out of reality. I think times when the color really matters, like, like the fire on the, the, you know, the monk self-immolating himself.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the one I'm looking at right now. And I just, that one kind of creeps me out a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, well, the idea of someone setting themselves on fire, that kind of creeps me out too, but sure. seeing, seeing it. This vibrant, yeah is very strange to me,
1: and the the shot of uh Hitchcock lip from below
0: that one's not bad, actually,
1: yeah, uh so
0: it's just very well done, I mean, from a technical standpoint there a lot of these are very well done,
1: although I'll tell you the uh migrant mother shot dorothea Lang, mm-hmm. I like better in black and white
0: I do like it better in black and white,
1: so sometimes it doesn't work <laughs> uh or 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 somehow takes away from it. it. It made it much more obvious how out of focus it is, that shot. I don't know if you noticed, if you pop it up to full screen, the kids' hairs behind her are in focus, but her face is not. Mm, mm-hmm. That, you know, this super famous shot is out of focus. So everyone who worries about their pictures being in focus, it doesn't oh, matter. See,
0: the Anne Frank shot just doesn't work either. It, it, that one looks almost like a caricature.
1: Yeah, but I like the Margaret Burke white shot of, uh, all of the African Americans underneath the sign of the white people. Mm-hmm. That one works because I think it, it, it brings it all much into relief. So you see, sometimes color is better than. Absolutely.
0: Ah, it's interesting. So anyway, it interesting. uh, go hey, check Speaking of out. black and white.
1: We'll put a sign in. <laughs> what are we talking about? Versailles? Spe-
0: yeah. Yeah. This is good. I don't know this person until you, until you, uh. You know, you've shown me quite a few of these new photographers. Which is funny because you
1: have much more of a history in the history of this stuff than I do. Yeah,
0: but the, just these European photographers, I for some reason have escaped me. Yeah. But this guy this guy hits me hits me pretty hard.
1: Uh Brassaï, George Brassaï, uh, Hungarian. Amazing work. Yeah. Uh photographer of the week. Uh, 1899 to 1984, he was around a long time,
0: long time. Saw a lot of changes. Uh,
1: the stuff that he's most famous for though, was sort of taken between the wars, mm-hmm. uh, and in, in Paris, largely in like 1924. Um, so he, he was, you know, he, here's an example. He lived among all these artists in Montparnasse and all this kind of stuff. I took a job as a journalist, um, I was friends with Henry Miller and these guys, you know? Ooh. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, lo- I love all these people who choose all these, like, pseudonyms, like him and uh, uh, Man Ray. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to choose a pseudonym. Maybe that's what I need to do.
0: You should. Uh,
1: but a lot of his famous stuff is the- are these shots of Paris at night.
0: Yeah. Like, during the 20s and 30s. Again, yeah. back to what we were talking about earlier, that time and place captured beautifully.
1: Yes. Uh, and so a lot of the pictures that, you know, of Paris back in the day, sort of these dark gloomy stuff, lots of shadows, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hard black and white, uh, sort of, uh, street shots of people. Uh, there, there's some crazy portraits too, of, of like dancers and there's some nudes and some, you know, the more risque elements of society, that kind of thing. Um, But again,
0: this is another example of a photographer who shot everything. Yep. Landscapes, still lifes, portraits, you know, just hungry for shooting.
1: He shot what he saw and sometimes it was people and sometimes it was was places with no people. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times these, a lot of them are, are, are stolen shots as it were, you know, are, are moments that he turned around and snapped somebody. It's, it's, it's very much street photography.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, This stuff's amazing.
1: Yeah. Some of it's really incredible. Um, and some interesting shots of people in bars and things. Yes, which I find very interesting. Uh, very much uh, a a picture of a time. You know?
0: What must that have been like? Nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. Not as
1: many people were walking around with cameras,
0: right? And and you're sitting there enjoying your, you know, your your coffee or your 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 you know, champagne or, or whatever it is. And there's this guy walking around with a camera. How yeah. odd that must've been yeah, to those eyes.
1: Yeah. I mean, at a certain point he started using like a Roloflex, but a lot of this stuff was shot on these, like, like on a little large format camera, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah. You know, with bellows and the whole thing, like a little foldable camera, uh, not large format as it were. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been completely different and people were much more, I think people back then were much more open to getting their picture taken because it was such a rarity. It was a special thing. I've made this argument before.
0: Yes. And I, I, uh, it's hard to relate to living, you know, in a uh, 21st century where cameras are not only everywhere, but they're in everything. Yes. So it's, it's hard to wonder what that must've felt like to feel special simply by having a photograph taken of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, granted a lot of these people were probably drunk at the time, so they didn't even know, (laughs) but here's an example, right? I, I doubt that he got (laughs) model releases from these people. Right. So, you know, what does that say? Uh, I mean, his later work, he did some stuff in America where he's shooting in color and stuff and you can go look this stuff up. Um, but I think the stuff that he's most known for is, is this very old, uh, very 1920s, 1930s Paris between the wars, uh, very special time, sort of like the, the initial sort of explosion of liberalism in society, Western society.
0: You know, this, some of this stuff is a lot like Kertesh.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, same period, right? I mean, that's, that's the question. I mean, maybe one of them came up with the, look and the other one followed, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, this was, this is how a lot of the stuff in the twenties and thirties looks when you really look at it, you know, um, you look at this stuff, you look at even Cartier-Bresson, a lot of his street stuff has some of this feel and it was all taken in the same era, you know, the pictures back then looked a certain way because is it because the people were photographing that certain way or was it because that place actually looked that way?
0: Right. I don't know. Oh, look at, there's a shot of, uh, him photographing Matisse at work. Oh, let me see that. That's amazing. Here.
1: Uh, I'll have to send it to my mother. Is
0: she a big Matisse fan? There uh, you go.
1: She, she, uh, what's it called? It's the Matisse estate.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's uh, like fourth photo down or something. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Matisse. It's just surreal, right? I mean, just thinking about... That. I mean, you you know that they worked and you, you've sure. seen the work, but right. seeing them at work is somehow appearing if, if peering behind the curtain.
1: I've contacted a number of artists and, like, if I tried to say, hey, Chuck, can I come shoot you while you're working, Mr. Close? I mean, it's either, it's both been done before a bunch of times and he probably wouldn't allow it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where back then, maybe it was more like, oh, I want somebody to record me working. Right. Like that. that there's a certain... And, and was changed. it quaint?
0: Was right. it, it considered, oh, this, how quaint, this, this new thing? Right. You know, exactly. relatively yeah. at the time.
1: It's weird stuff. Yeah. So, uh Brassai, go check it out.
0: Yeah, beautiful stuff.
1: Uh, you have anything else before we wrap up? I feel like we went long. Good.
0: Did we go long? Did we go long today?
1: No. Yeah, no, this is about right. Okay. And we almost always end up at a buck, buck 30. Okay.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah, go download cons- it. Tell your friends. Go download last week. At yeah, least I hope so.
1: Very odd, uh, but uh, yeah, go tell your friends about it. Go over to iTunes, uh, rate the show because that helps people find us. And oh, um, we had it. You
0: know what? While you're while you're what? Go on. We had another uh, another review. Hold on, one sec. No, go ahead. Is it a good review? <laughs> it is a good review.
1: Okay, uh, and uh, so if you want to get a hold of us, podcast at ontakingpictures.com. dot com. You can go find the show notes at ontakingpictures.com slash podcast. Uh, or if you just go down to ontakingpictures.com, the latest episode is the top little uh, object on the page. And uh, I'm
0: loving the redesign of the site, by the way. Thank you. I'm yeah. pretty happy with it myself. Uh, yeah.
1: You can also find us on Twitter at Bill Wadman. That's me. And at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's him. E R Y Double D 1 R. And again, voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail at 347 687 9411. What was our okay, new this,
0: review? This, this, I love this review. This, we, and we get a lot of, of well, a we lot of fantastic reviews. reviews. Yeah. Uh, Simply the Best Photography Podcast. This is from Jason Randolph. Jason, I hope you don't mind us reading your, your review. This really is a great photo podcast. I love the conversational style. It's like sitting at a table with a coffee and a couple of close friends. The talk is on substanti- so What's substantive... substantive Yep. If issues, not gear. Uh, if you want gear talk, this is not the place to find it. I look forward to every episode of OTP. I
1: love that. Five stars, baby. I love that. Yeah, me too. That makes us happy.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it's just... And, and I love that, that people are finding the show and taking the time to go back and listen to the previous episodes. That, yeah. I, that says something to me. And, yeah. I, and I, I, I'm so pleased that, that people like the show. Because we're... <laughs> You know, we're having a good time with it.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, send us some uh, feedback, and uh, otherwise,
0: we will see y'all next week. Yep. See you next week. Have a good week.